0: Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers, I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week we're looking back on some classic adult cartoons as we talk Wait Till Your Father Gets Home and The Oblongs and that show was very interesting to say the least. And we take a special look at the cult classic King of the Hill, a show that paved the way for many of the comedy shows you see today. So let's get started. And joining me, as ever, it's Deuce Paul.
1: Hey man, how's it going?
0: I'm alright, fakes. Have you uh, quite gotten over watching The Oblongs?
1: The Oblongs was one of those shows that was like, what the hell is going on? But, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but the um, attachment you get to the characters is actually pretty, pretty damn good. So, like, I'm impressed with what they did.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it I think it may actually be the damnedest thing we've we've ever done on this oh on this I don't pod.
1: i don't know about that when you
0: <laughs> I think so I think it's the damnedest thing we've done for sure for sure dynamite was like tame compared to the oblongs
1: what, what was that um the one where the granddad one was Tyson. singing no when the granddad was singing
0: it might be black dynamite it might have been that but the even that and the Mike Tyson mysteries were were tame compared to this,
1: yeah. I mean, it was pretty out there, but uh,
0: out there, I think they're out there and never came back.
1: But it's interesting, you know, it's an interesting um take on the rich and the poor, so
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. Right, let's uh, let's get started right away. We're going to start with Wait Till Your Father Gets Home, and this came out in September 1972 and some of the things happening in the world. 11 Israeli athletes at the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich were murdered after eight members of the Arab terrorist group Black September invade the Olympic village. Five guerrillas and one policeman are also killed in a failed hostage rescue. Bobby Fischer defeats Boris Spassky in a chess match in Reykjavik, Iceland, becoming the first American world chess champion. The second COD war begins between the United Kingdom and Iceland. Deadly Harvest was in the cinemas and Children of the Revolution by T-Rex was in the charts.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I like, this, uh, like this song.
0: Yeah, this is a, this is such a huge song.
1: Yeah, this is one of those ones you sort of like, you, you kind of look at the radio and it comes on and you're like, yes!
0: <laughs> well, Great Sits hasn't played it yet. Might be getting clearance for that.
1: Yeah, let's hope so.
0: Yeah, why not? I mean, it, it, it is a good driving song, isn't it? Definitely. Right, so Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. So this was an American animated sitcom produced by Hannah and Barbera Productions. The show originated as a one-time segment on Love American Style called Love and the Old Fashioned Father. And the same pilot was later produced with a live cast, but with no success. The show was the first primetime animated sitcom to run for more than a single season since fellow Hanna Barbera show The Flintstone more than 10 years earlier and would be the only one until The Simpsons 17 years later. The show was inspired by All In The Family. Since being one of the first primetime animated sitcoms, it was referred as the great grandfather of adult animated sitcoms. So it's all about Harry Boyle, who's a long-suffering suburban everyman dad and restaurant equipment dealer, the Boar family consists of father Harry, his wife Irma, overweight teen feminist yet boy crazy daughter Alice, lazy and perpetually unemployed long haired post adolescent son Chet, who like his sister does not want to follow in the morals and values of his parents, and his precocious if rather mercenary younger son Jamie. Harry often bickers with the more liberal Alice and Chet over various social issues of the day, with Irma endeavouring to remain neutral while Jamie is more sympathetic to his father's beliefs. Despite it all, Harry loves his family and usually tries to support them. Many of the stories revolve around the generation gap between Harry and his children, in which the series' sympathy is typically on his side, leading, leading the character to usually win his arguments. Despite Harry's conservatism, it pales against that of his neighbor Ralph Kane, who is a John Birch like ultra right wing, fanatically anti communist, who is obsessed with every absurd conspiracy theory and ridiculous urban legend. Following Ralph with his cause is senior citizen Sarah Whitaker, who who, whom he addresses as Sergeant. They have both turned one end of the block into basically an armed camp. Although Harry considers Ralph a close friend, he is annoyed at Ralph's extreme attitudes and rarely hesitates to dispute his more ignorant opinions or preempt his more threatening ambitions. Like many animated series created by Hanron Barbera in the 1970s, the show contained a laugh track created by the studio. For this show, the studio added a third belly laugh to add a little more variety. So, wait till your father gets home.
1: Uh I watched this show last out of the three. Um and it was considerably slower than the other two. But you could see kind of where it obviously it's very Hannah and Barbera, right? Um there's uh, sound
0: effects for days.
1: Sound effects, I'm pretty sure that guy was Officer Dibble, um, Harry. It he his voice definitely rang a bell somewhere. Yeah, but it was it was quite nice. Um it was weirdly normal. That's what I found weird about it was it was normal kind of just everyday things that could have been quite easily live action happening. It wasn't over the top in any in any way, shape or form. But you could see kind of, like you said, this is a great grandfather of like adult sitcoms and you could absolutely see that. Like this is where, you know, it kind of all came from, I think. Because um, I'm, I'm sure it would have been a weird concept for adults to be watching cartoons back in those days, I'm talking about.
0: Actually, it was actually might have been the norm because I think... The Flintstones was primarily initially aimed for adults. Even the Jetsons at the time was initially meant for an adult audience more than kids, and I think this one was was no different. I think if it's on prime time as well, yeah, then it's gonna be slightly more geared to uh, to adults. Um, as far yeah, as far as this show is concerned, do you know how and Barbera's laugh tracks are super annoying, but I think with this one it kind of helped. I think it added to the show. I I thought the laugh track fitted in well and when i watched the episode without a laugh track i was kind of thinking oh it's it's missing it's missing a laugh
1: track i think cuz there's not a whole lot else going on in terms of audio wise like there's a dialogue and a laugh track and not a whole lot else so without the laugh track it's almost a bit muted
0: yeah 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 and that's why I, it, it missed it when i watched the uh the later series but other than that i actually did think this was a pretty good show i i i i did like this um yeah, you could see it's an adult animation and a show like this would have crawled so that the shows that we do later on could run. And, yeah, it's very much the typical um, American family like sort of coming into the 70s where they're starting to like leave the 60s, leaving all that hippie Woodstock lifestyle and they're trying to come into like, okay, this is Nixon's America. We're gonna try and uh, make everything conservative. We're gonna try and uh, bulk up and stop all the commies and
1: yeah. I think it, all three shows this week were politically charged. They all had their kind of like you know their their political agenda that they were pushing. You know, like the crazy anti communist guy and you know, but yeah. I mean, it certainly didn't make for bad viewing. For
0: no, I mean, if you were living in America in seventies, the, the chances are that you had a very very anti communist neighbor who's got his binoculars out the window going, Oh, who's this person? You think who's this person moving into neighborhood? He could be a commie.
1: Yeah, and if you didn't have that neighbor, then you were probably that neighbor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean and, and 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 they did have a pet in the family and it was a refreshing thing to see a dog not talking in the show. But it was very refreshing to see a Hannah Barbera cartoon and not seeing the dog talk or see the dog
1: get up to all sorts of shenanigans
0: communicate with the humans
1: yeah
0: right let's talk about episodes we watched
1: all right so i watched episode one and then episode 48 so the first thing i noted was there was a laugh track yes excuse my notes i think i've got quite a few spinning mistakes in it so it was chet chet the brother Right, so I've written Chaz and and somewhere else I've written something else, and because I couldn't quite hear what they were saying, so so the younger brother Jamie he was was doing homework for his mate for ten cents, and he was like, oh, I don't approve of that, and he's like, oh yeah, I don't approve of it either, but um, that's all he had, um, so he's trying to get more. So Harry tells Chet about a job, um, but he's not interested. It was like a as a like a, a teller at a bank, but he's not interested. Miss Peterson calls. And she wants, so it sounds like uh, Harry is like a professional driver. Miss Peterson calls is one of his long standing customers and she's um, fog bound at the airport and she's asked her, asked him to drive her up to San Diego. And then he goes outside and you hear um, the the neighbor Ralph was talking about how they're talking about these people um, wanting to join his lodge and they were called like Rappaport, I think, or something like that. And he was like kind of like insinuating that these guys were Jewish and he wasn't wasn't for that. So he was kind of like and then you learn later that, you know, like he's anti uh what's it called? Um anti communist, anti Jewish, anti everything that's not American, basically. And and, and this straight away you see that Harry's like like absolutely not in for this. He's like, No, like you I'll, I'll vote for him to get in if it comes to it anyway so he goes to take miss um, peterson to the airport on the way the car breaks down so they have to get a motel so he calls home and says uh you know listen i i'm not going to come home because the car needs to be fixed and they go to a motel and straight away the, the guy th- says like oh we've got one room you're lucky because we've only got one room um and he's like oh have you not got two and he says no he goes okay i'll sleep in the car and the motel guy thinks that he's trying to pull a fast one because you pay by the person not by the room and he says like he goes oh we're not married he goes so like I won't say anything if you won't say anything kind of thing. So the motel proprietor thinks that they're kind of with each other. Um, but anyway, so Harry's more of an upstanding guy than that. And he says, I'm going to sleep in the car, which he does, to much to the amazement of the hotel owner. So Alice and Chet go to speak to mum because they think that dad's having an affair. You know, he's kind of off with his lady and he kind of, you know, a beck and call kind of thing. Mum so- kind of gets nervous about it. Uh, and then Harry comes home and the kids are acting weird. And so is the mum. Basically, the kids have got into the mum's mind. Harry's kind of explaining himself, but no one believes him. Uh, Miss Peter, Miss Peterson calls again and mum just kind of like cries and kind of hangs out the phone because she thinks he's obviously uh, playing away. So he can't convince them and the rumours are kind of circulating at this point around the entire neighbourhood. Jamie, meanwhile, every time he comes in the room, they pay him to go somewhere else and he's like, you know, trying to get some money. Uh, so he ends up taking a girl to the movies. Um, Alice tells mum to, uh, to like, you know, kind of dole yourself up to compete with Miss Peterson on her own terms, you know, like, you know, if she's like, you know, wearing makeup, and you should wear makeup as well, you know, put a nice dress on, and this and that and the other. So when Harry comes in, like, you know, kind of wife, he sees his wife like, you know, acting like this, and he kind of gets annoyed at her, and he kind of takes her to the hotel and says, like, look, kind of you tell her what happened, kind of thing. And he was like, and he they kind of back back him back him up. Anyway, so then he's and then he says. um, uh oh would you like a double room uh, so would you like a double room for your wife then? And he's like, No, I'm gonna take my wife to a nice place, not not this kind of dive. Um and anyway, yeah, so all is well in the end, and that's when I noticed at the end of the credits that it was Hannah and Barbera.
0: Alright, cool. So I watched episode three called The Hippie, and obviously Harry is back from work, he's absolutely knackered, wants a, a stiff drink, he's watching Alice eating. It's like, how many diets is this girl on? He's like on four different diets. And he can hear like loud music coming from Chet's room because he's entertaining his friend Claude and Claude's playing the guitar. And obviously Claude doesn't have anywhere to live because he's a hippie. And he lives in the universe. And he's philosophical, not conformist. And obviously he's singing a song about how money can't buy the sunset. Claude stays the night and Harry isn't too happy about it. Ralph thinks Claude is a communist who, who likes to sing anti-American songs. Obviously, it's the next day. Harry comes back from work. He can still hear Claude and his guitar. Chet obviously wants him to stay, but Harry doesn't want him to stay. And obviously, Irma's like, we should try and be understanding. We should try and cater to what Chet wants. Otherwise, we could lose him. Obviously, Ralph is like comparing it to a Chinese takeover and he's like, yeah, you need to get rid of this guy as soon as possible. And they have to use fine china to like eat their dinner because like Claude is against paper plates. And Harry just having a vent about Claude to Irma. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make Claude get a job. And he hopes that Chet will follow his lead because obviously Chet, He's unemployed. He's a, a a lazy bum, and so he wants him to to do what um, Claude says. And then harry's showing Claude around, but then Claude manages to get the whole office to like sing with him, and you know act like hippies. And Claude is eating and drinking everything in the fridge at home, so Harry's planning to throw him out. And so Harry's trying to dress and act like a hippie, and Jamie thinks he's Woodstock but obviously Ralph isn't too happy about it. Claude is 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 happy that Harry's given up the business and they only think that they eat vegetables and I like that. Oh, he's eating all the vegetables like Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and Jamie's still eating hamburgers on the low because obviously the the, the the food situation at home is not great. So Harry's trying to go in disguise to get burgers. But Ralph thinks he's a communist, so the, there's like a, a neighbourhood mob and they're chasing after him. And Ralph is building a wall and he's talking about, again, this was obviously 1972. And he was referring, I think, to Chinese people in the, in the derogatory, using derogatory language to refer to, to Chinese people. And I'm not going to repeat it. And so he's building a wall. Harry's had enough and he he's like you know I want Claude to go and so the t- there's like a TV media truck and they're interviewing Ralph about the wall Claude is singing to the media so in the end Claude gets a job with the TV station because they want someone to sing and write jingles and then once he leaves the the wall that Ralph was building falls apart and then yeah I went on to the finale which was called Car 54
1: Yes, I was saying before, basically, uh, the police need to get a new job because they need more money. They're not getting paid enough money to live.
0: By the way, their names are Gunther and Francis.
1: Gunther. Yeah, See exactly. This is where I didn't. I think I wrote Gunther later in my notes, but not Francis for sure. So they make a childcare business in Harry's basement Uh, on the first day, little... There's a little boy being a pain. His name's Billy. He gets taken home. Uh, Billy the kid gets taken so. Obviously, Billy the kid, the you know the cowboy play. Um, so he gets taken home uh, to his mum, uh, Gunther, and the and the other one, <laughs> Francis, uh, go find him because they don't realise that their mum took him home. They find Billy outside a bank. I think it's a bank or a shop, and he's playing on one of those mechanical uh, horses. Um, and they basically take him and they take him back to the daycare whilst his mum's inside. So the mum reports him missing and they and they take the kind of missing persons case, but they don't realise that uh, the the missing boy that she's asking for is the boy that they took. Uh, and anyway, they end up calling his mum to say like, you know, you need to come and pick up your son from daycare kind of thing. But, they, they, you know, they basically said, you can come and get your son now, whatever you want, but it's going to cost you $7.50. Um, and basically, like the mum is like, saying yeah yeah i'll I'll pay you the money i'll pay you the money just give me my son kind of thing so they're they're accidentally kind of ransoming billy there and so when they go and take billy there um they the the other police the police chief and some other police officers are there on a stakeout waiting for them waiting for the kidnapper who they don't realize is the other police uh to to appear um so they take billy home and try to drop him off without anyone knowing because they've kind of tweaked at this point he doesn't go in and he sneaks back into the police car. Then the police trace the call. Francis and Gunther call call her again. Um, and they trace the call back to the police station. So, uh, meanwhile, Francis and Gunther take, Harry, uh, sorry, take Billy to Harry's house and they leave him there. Harry gets annoyed and he calls the mum to go and get them. And then he ends up getting arrested because they trace the call back to his house. Uh oh sorry no he gives the address he said look this is the address come and get a boy and then he gets uh, gets arrested uh, it all gets ironed out in the end but then Harry shuts down the daycare, smashes it up um and then uh, the police officers say uh like you're not you're not allowed to run a business from there anyway and by the way here's the fine for running their business in his house yeah i think that was uh,
0: pretty much it it was it was it was, it was quite a, a a good episode i thought
1: yeah, it was a good episode. I think, like to be honest, I watched a couple, and they were both they're both fairly really good. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I actually quite liked the show. Thought it was thought it was pretty good. It was very simple, straightforward. This blueprint is like used like all over now with many adult ad- animated uh, sitcoms, and uh, yeah, I thought they did a, a good job with this one. Oh boy! Next up is the Oblongs so this show came out in april 2001 and some of the things happening in the world former federal republic of yugoslavia president slobodan milosevic re- surrenders to police special forces to be tried on charges of war crimes Soyuz tm 32 lifts off from the Bakonor cosmodrome carrying the first base tourist american dennis tito Tiger Woods wins the 2001 Masters Tournament, completing the Tiger Slam, with Woods becoming the first golfer to hold all four professional major titles simultaneously, having won the US Open, Open Championship and PGA Championship in 2000. Bridget Jones' Diary was in the cinemas. And Crawling by Linkin Park was in the charts.
1: Yeah, I think we can all agree that Linkin Park are one fantastic band.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um I think it was uh not not the anniversary, but it was I think um 3 years since uh, Chester Bennington passed. Obviously still so very very sad.
1: It is very sad and the thing is when you have someone with such a distinct voice as well, you know, it's you know, it's tricky for that band to ever do anything else, you know.
0: I mean, you say that cuz obviously their first two albums, Hybrid Theory and Meteora like two of the the greatest albums you could ever hope to release if you're a musician and it was always as the years went on and they tried to do new music a lot of people would compare it to that and obviously they're like okay they're albums that we did but we we, were we're trying to we're trying to give you all the new stuff but uh
1: yeah i mean i did like some of their new stuff as well but um link hybrid theory was one of my very first uh, cds and that you know that, that that was a good thing and a bad thing because what it meant was that i really liked lincoln park when i was younger and kind of went off them because you know you kind of get that you know when you kind of grow up a little bit you kind of like leave that old bit behind and so i lost touch with them for years and then I, and then i kind of re-downloaded the the, the album uh, when i was uh, I think when I was like kind of in university, and I was like, "This is amazing. Why did I not like this for years?"
0: They set like such a, a trend because obviously it was. They tried to like incorporate like rap and rock music because with Mike Shinoda, who was like the MC of the group, and he's brilliant. Absolutely, I think he's outstanding. And you had the the the, the voice of Chester, who could like who could scream and shout and sing your frustrations and your you could have a really really bad day and i could just put on Chester Bennington and you could listen to him and he would just be able to capture your very emotion at that moment with his voice and
1: and it was quite it was quite good because it was one of those like you know it was more it was kind of talented screaming rather than some, some of the you know some of the other screamy bands you like dude just come on just just turn it off because it's not good but this was like you know awesome
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Linkin Park will always be like one of my f- all-time faves, like for sure. Right now, The Oblongs. So this was a American adult animated sitcom created by Angus Oblong and Jace Richdale. It was Mohawk Productions' first venture into animation. The series is loosely based on a series of characters introduced in a picture book entitled Creepy Susie and 13 Other Magic Tales for Troubled Children. The show was produced by Jobsite Production and Mohawks Production in association with Warner Bros. And the theme song for the series was composed and performed by They Might Be Giants. Was that a band name ring a bell?
1: No, not even a little bit.
0: Oh, wow. They, um, they did the theme song to Malcolm in the Middle.
1: Yes, no, maybe. I yep, don't that know. is They Might no.
0: Be Giants. And they also, I think, did the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song. And they've had like really, really good hit singles like Istanbul, not Constantinople, and Birdhouse in Your Soul, which I think is a really, really good song. The series focuses on the antics of a family who live in a poor valley community and as a result of pollution and radiation exposure are all disabled or deformed. The pollution is a direct result of the lavish lifestyle of the rich community known as the Hills whose residents exploit and harm the Valley residents with absolutely no regard for their safety or well-being. The Oblongs won the RTO's award in 2001 for Best Casting for Animated VoiceOver. And however, the critical consensus on Ron Tomato was, and I quote, The Oblongs has talent and visual style to spare, but its attempts at satire sorely missed the mark. The characters, so Bob Oblong, who was voiced by Will Farrell was uh, born without arms or legs and bob works at a poison factory called the globicide and despite his deformities he is very chipper and sunny and is modeled after various fathers from 1950s tv shows mary marie oblong or pickles is a chain smoking alcoholic who originally a hill resident but moved to the valley after marrying bob all of her hair has since fallen out biff and chip Oblong, voiced by Randy and Jason Scalar, are 17-year-old conjoined twins who are attached at the waist and share a middle leg. Biff is a hard worker, obsessed with sports, while Chip is more laid back. Milo Oblong, voiced by Pamela Aldon, is the youngest son and often referred to by other kids as a psycho. He's afflicted with numerous mental and social disorders and is on everything from Ritalin to Rogaine. Beth Oblong, voiced by Jenny Elias, and is the youngest child and the only daughter. She has a warty, elongated growth growing out of her head. Despite her appendage, she is shown to be better adjusted than the rest of her family. Helga Fugley, who is a overweight toad-like girl who would eat virtually anything. She lives in a fantasy world believing that she's pretty and popular and that the Debbies actually like her. Creepy Susie. Voiced by Jenny Elias, who's a melancholic goth girl who speaks with a deadpan French accent and appears to float instead of walk, as her legs are never shown. Peggy, who is voiced by Becky Thayer, a girl who has one breast and lacks a lower jaw, causing her to spit and talk with a lisp. Mikey is uh, Jenny Elias again, and he's a boy saddled with a dangling doubled posterior. Standard underwear will not fit him, so he wears his grandmother's old bra backwards like suspenders. George Kilmer, voiced by Billy West, is Bob's rich and snobby boss, and he represents the power and arrogance of the people of the hills. Woo! Okay, so the
1: oblongs. Right, I think I could tell that me and you, like see this show quite differently this show was like very like kind of like social you know sociologically and politically charged like it's very like the rich crapping all over the poor people but the each character you know like the, the, they they had something that you could attach to and, and you liked about them well i did anyway um it was proper weird like you know there's no getting away with that it was super duper weird i had no idea the show existed until you showed me especially from 2001 when i think it was around those sort of times when a lot of the adult cartoons came by i guess this one is quite similar in terms of like visual like vulgarity i guess for two like rick Rick and morty i guess they're quite similar in that respect but this yeah it was a proper weird show but i actually quite liked it um i liked the characters and i thought they were pretty well thought out
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I think this is the damnedest show that we've done on this podcast. I thought it was very, very hit and miss. Very hit and miss. I think there were some bits that was just absolutely hilarious, like little one-liners here and there, I thought was absolutely hilarious. I thought Bob Oblong and the way he looks is, yeah, I couldn't get over that without no arms and no legs. Uh,
1: I like his positive outlook as well. He's got no yeah. arms, he's got no legs, and he's got such a positive outlook. It's great.
0: Yeah, I, honestly, it's, this this show really it really threw me. It really, really like threw me on a loop. I'm looking, thinking, what what in the hell am I watching? Yeah, very, very, very hit and miss. Again, I think it did set set the pave way to like a lot of other programs. It's interesting that Will Farrell was doing this. I I don't find him funny at all. I don't. Oh, get I, him.
1: I I There's a few shows that I absolutely love him in. Uh, so like show t- uh, movies and stuff like that. Like uh, Blades of Glory is one of my all time favorite movies, and I think he's absolutely fantastic in that. I don't get him. And Talladega Nights as well. I think he's great in that. I don't
0: I don't get Will Ferrell? I I don't get it
1: for sure. There's some shows that I just are too much. Shows,
0: films, whatever. Like I don't I don't know. Like with him, I just
1: I think he is like a comedy genius. So I I I do like his I do like his stuff. So like I said, some movies and stuff like that are a bit too much for me, and I won't watch them. But some of the some of the other movies are are just like definitely Blades of Glory. If anyone's not seen that movie, it's just it's about figure skating, but it's one of the best show, best movies I've seen.
0: Right, yeah. Shall we uh, talk about episodes?
1: So, obviously, like, it's kind of slow going because everything's so crazy that you're kind of, like, trying to get your head around what the hell the show is. Uh, so, Biff and Chip are conjoined twins. You see that um, Bob w- wakes up with Pickles, which is his wife, and, she- and he has no arms but legs, and um, she's kind of this alcoholic woman with no hair. Uh, the-, the girl, Beth, has, like, something weird growing out of her head. Milo's crazy. Um, and then they, they're all kind of waiting for the bus to go to school, and all the kids are kind of laughing at Milo because he's um, has to go to uh, like a psycho school, and they call it something else. And the sign falls down the bus, and it's like the psycho bus or something like that. So, uh, but he's desperate to go to normal school anyway. So, um, so Bob's at work, and he gets told off for of running up all the medical bills, and the, and the boss says you shouldn't live in a contaminated place, and if he files one more. Uh, medical case like, and he's off you the plan. made it contaminated yeah and so the thing is it's weird because like if he if he puts one more case in then he's off the medical thing but there's no point in being on the medical thing if you can't file a, another case right so uh so milo's friend helga decides that she will hurt him because the the, the, the medical the school cancelled a medical sorry uh, bob's work will cancel the medical and they have to go to normal school because the medical people are no longer funding the the psycho school but then it turns out that biff and chip get hurt so much because um which one of them likes sports does wrestling and the other one gets hurt so the kind of the passive one anyway so they have to put putting a thingy and they get the medical taken away so that means milo has to go to the normal school when milo goes to his first day at the normal school this girl called yvette waves at him and she he kind of straight away falls it falls in love with her he goes to talk to her but the bullies stop and then push him over then he tells his mum, and then pickles creates a distraction for milo to talk to a vet. turns out she's an alien this is like where it goes super super weird so turns out she's an alien she like puts him down on his bed and she takes his brain out and uh yeah all sorts but anyway like it doesn't put him off <laughs> he kind of um thingy so then um bob needs to get a job a second job so he gets a job as like a human projectile and he gets picked on by like the kind of little people that were there i'm um, struggling to find the politically correct terminology uh they basically throw him out because they're like, like you can't muscle in on our job milo still loves a vet even though she kind of like took his brain out and stuff like that but then the hill kid beat up milo and then dad says look you can't see her because we can't afford to pay your medical bills when you get beaten up uh then helga arrives Writes a letter. Uh, So he, uh, Milo writes a letter, gives it to Helga to deliver, and then she kind of dresses up as one of the Debbies and goes, uh, to the house. Um, she leaves the letter, but the the bullies pick it up and they, um, go to like burn his clubhouse down.
0: I like how she blew her cover by just eating everything there.
1: Yeah. She ate all of the cupcakes like in one go. Oh, so basically, before like the dad gets like, he, he doesn't want to get in a fight because he's, um, Uh, afraid that his medical bills will you know, he'll have to pay his medical bills but then this this guy disrespects his wife so he kind of, like, this massive, like, able-bodied guy and he beats the crap out of him Uh, and then the little guys, like, you know, help him Uh, they said that you can be part of our club now. Uh, Then the bullies come to burn Milo's clubhouse down uh, but then one of the other guys squirts it all with water and then, what's the French girl's name again? Anyway, the the, the French one basically burns it down anyway because she's depressed Um, then Yvette um creepy that, Susie Creepy Susie, yeah. She burns it down anyway. And then Yvette turns up and then she says, oh, I can bring I can bring Milo back or something like that. Or I can come back. And it's like, Oh, it's not cost effective to bring you back to the mothership because she's an alien. And then she has to terminate herself. And then Milo's really sad that she's like kind of died. And then Dad says, Don't worry, we'll put her ashes on the rose rose bushes and she'll be a fertiliser, and then you'll see all the see her blooming in a in the roses. So that was episode one. Proper weird, but Actually, like, quite good. The kids are waiting for food. Everyone is hungry because there's no food. They all go shopping. But mum leaves Beth at the shop and she goes to the police station. Uh, Pickles is really sad about leaving Beth. Uh, there's a botanical garden show coming up. They all go. Beth runs in a maze. Run, mum runs after her. Uh, Milo goes to the photosynthesis lecture. And there's all the, the men watching this, like, busty lady give a lecture. And then he kind of, um, Jamie asks, asks a question. And all the men in there tell him to shut up they're watching the lady and chip um start throwing things at this giant meat eating kind of venus flytrap kind of plant mum is still chasing beth and she goes like above the flesh-eating plant the police come and shoot the plant um and then this white woman with a bible says oh you should arrest her because she's like neglecting the child or something and then the police say oh if a white woman with a bible says that we then we should do it so they do arrest her and then she goes to court um, and she gets a community service as a supervisor in, of an Amazon troop. And basically, it goes into this VT, how, how they were formed. They are formed in the war when all the men go away and all the women are lesbians that get left behind and are in this group. So it's pretty weird <laughs> how this thing started. Anyway, so Milo dresses up as a girl because you have to have five girls to make a troop. And there's only four girls. So Milo dresses up as a girl. Then Pickles makes all the girls do the housework. And Dad is disappointed in Milo because he's dressed up like a like a girl. They go out. They need to uh, make some money so they can join this jamboree thing. And um, they go out selling cookies. But uh, Helga eats them all. Then P- Pickle says, "Oh, because you know the rich girls have said, oh, look, we're going.' Sort of. So Pickle's teaches them street hustling, and they made loads of money so they can go to the jamboree. Whilst they're there, they catch Milo out, and they kick all the girls out for life. But on the way home, the bus driver kicks the girls out of the bus because they're singing all these like songs and stuff like that. And he's really annoyed with them. So they end up in this like really rough part of town. Um, so they have to make the, make their way home. And uh, basically Pickles is like leading the way. Cause she knows how to, uh, to survive in that area, but all the uh, rich girls don't. Uh, and then they get, they all get the urban survival badge and they're like, Oh, Pickles, can you be our hen, mother hen or something like that of the group? And then as she does that, her watch beeps, to say that she's done 200 hours community service. She's like, yeah, no, no way. Froze the thing and she leaves. Um, and that's the end of that one.
0: I watched an episode called The Golden Child. So it starts off with Bob. He's always trying to pitch ideas for work, but he, it never works out for him. He tries to put them in the suggestion box, but the suggestion box is actually a furnace. He just, it's like a massive furnace, and it's like <laughs> the whole factory is like lit up because of it and Milo's playing video games even though he's not supposed to and then a shopkeeper gives Milo an energy drink called Das Boost I think it's German and there was someone who comes in and he's basically saying again another sort of derogatory term to describe German people and so man and then so Milo decides that he wants to sell it he wants to call it manic not um Das Boost and then so Everyone's getting hooked on it. Biff and Chip are like dancing outside and Bob gets hooked. And so do his colleagues and everyone at work gets hooked on it. Now the boss, he wants to drink Manic and then he's um, impressed by Bob. And he thinks that he came up with it. And so he wants to promise and he's saying that he's trying to negotiate with uh, Bob to try and get the ingredients and the recipes for this drink. And he's saying, I'll give you a promotion. I'll give you everything you want, a new office, everything. And so Bob is going to the Hill Valley Country Club and he's trying to play golf. Then he starts to feel bad about the idea, stealing it from his son. And so Bob is going to George and he's confessing to Milo as well that he stole the idea. And now Bob has to go to the uh, the board of, of directors and I think that Milo might be the corporate Messiah. So he has to do all these things. And so they're showing him like boxing a kangaroo and you're thinking, oh my God, is this the initiation? And then you see Bob going, Milo, stop messing around with the logo and do the real initiation. So that was quite a, a nice little swerve. And he has to do a test and he has to choose the the the, the pen of that, the one that JB Global use and they're saying that this skillet-headed boy is going to become the corporate messiah, and so Milo has to live with the owners in order to be groomed as a CEO. So he has to live in this like bubble in the in the building. They all miss Milo at home, and Milo isn't enjoying the lessons. and then Pickles is visiting Milo, and Milo says that he will be CEO and then he can promote Bob and Pickles is like saying to Bob look I want him out of there I want my son back and Bob sees that the idea is um, used by Milo so Bob is trying to get him out of there so Bob is like trying to go to the uh, the board of directors and this made me laugh so much for some reason and they're like oh and he's like oh give me my son back and then I think one of the main guy in charge is like absolutely not my burrito shaped friend <laughs> It made me laugh so much I don't know why but he just did he's like yes absolutely not my burrito shaped friend (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and and they find out that there's something wrong with the, the bottles of manic and it turns out that one of the secret ingredients was morphine so it's making everybody all drowsy and sleepy and Obviously, there's like a big speech and Bob is like trying to interrupt the speech. And he's like, wait, everyone, stop. And he's at the top of the building. So he has to come all the way down the stairs. And he's like, okay, give me one minute. And he's just basically bouncing down the (laughs) the stairs. Give me one minute. Bounce down the stairs, pants out of breath. And yeah, he basically tells everyone and he gets Milo out of there. And the finale was Father of the Bribe. So Bob is, try- Bob is trying to enjoy his weekend, but he has to chauffeur the kids. And he's thinking about, oh, I've, I've chauffeured you kids for so many years. I've never been able to uh, do things for myself. So he wants to go to a place where he left his hat there like many, many years ago. But now it's a ramen noodle place. And obviously, he's thinking, oh, maybe I should go there and practice my Chinese. And they're like, no, no, no. And then I'm sure what he says was, Happy New Year in Mandarin, Gong Ye Fa Choi, I think is what it is. I think mean, there's Xin Ye Kuai Lai as well.
1: I mean, I'll take your word for that. That's incredible that you know, a little bit of a...
0: that's one of, yeah, but I'm sure I've said it wrong. So uh, I apologize. And Biff and Chip decide to go for driving classes but they end up getting kicked out by the teacher. Bob offers to teach them, even though he has no arms. And Biff and Chip are learning how to drive, but they get stopped by police, and they think that Bob is a baby. And so Biff and Chip, they get a license anyway, but they don't want to drive anyone around doing errands, and they don't drive Milo to his friend's bar mitzvah because they want to go to the quarry and drag race and the car gets destroyed and this was so stupid because like the the twin that's on the right hand side wanted to drive which meant that you know in america i think they drive on the on the left hand side yeah left
1: hand drive yeah
0: yeah and so he was like left outside while the other one was inside the car driving and that sort
1: of thing that's just hilarious (laughs) so yeah
0: (laughs) so stupid and Bob now has to take the bus because the car is destroyed. And obviously, Bob is so naive. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to bring a checkers ball to the bus and I'm going to have so much fun. And he he actually ends up missing a day's work because the bus doesn't stop at the station. So he has to go all the way around. And we see that the boss is bribing the mayor. And the mayor's like, to the boss... George, oh, you know, hit me with a hit me with a golf ball, hit me with this, and obviously he's a wrestler because he's got like a lucha mask on. And he's like, oh, hit him, hit me, and basically Bob has to like he gets home after really really long days of work, and the kids tell him, yeah, you got to leave in five minutes because that's when the bus will take you to work on time. It's gonna leave, and Biff and Chip are planning to make it right, so they buy a car, and they find a bag full of money, and Bob takes it to the police because obviously he feels bad. And The police is like, "Well, if the bag of money was in the car then it belongs to the boys. The mayor is trying to look for the for look for the car with the money with the bribe in it and he's basically punching the dealership owner but he's not punching him properly he's doing like wrestling punches and obviously the guy's like, yeah no you're not punching me right And so he's doing the fake ooh
1: stamp ooh. And punch
0: he's yeah. doing you know the typical yeah the typical wrestling punch where it's like not really punching him at all." And the boys are enjoying the money, and they're going to do like a masseuse. And the ladies at the masseuse think that Bob looks like a sushi. They were laughing, going, "Ha ha ha ha! You look like a sushi to uh, to
1: Bob. You've got burrito and a sushi."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so Biff and Chip agree to sell the car to the mayor. Police tells Bob that the money was originally bribe money, and because of that, the city is cutting off the oblongs. So Bob is saying that they should give back the money and rubbish has been thrown their way and everything. And Biff and Chip are basically enjoying the money with the Debbies and Milo is in a pool of M&Ms. Milo burns the money by accident and the place gets destroyed. And Bob vows to pay back the bribe money and give it to the mayor. And the mayor decides to give back the car. And that was the Oblongs.
1: Yeah, I think pretty good, all all things considered, to be honest. I mean, it was funny at times, and I think all the characters are, you know, it's quite good to, um, I think you get become quite attached to some of the ca- uh, characters. I mean, definitely Milo was one of my favorite characters.
0: I did, I did like Milo, skillet head. <laughs> all right, so we have to pick now between the oblongs and wait till your father gets home.
1: Yeah, I, this is an easy one for me. I think, um, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home was definitely a clear second. Um, And first for me was The Oblongs. But I mean, that's not to say that um, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home was bad in any sense of the word. I thought it was quite good. I really liked the fact that, you know, it existed so all the others could exist. And um, yeah, I I, I liked it. I thought they're both really good shows, but The Oblongs definitely had it for me.
0: See, this is a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm gonna say the oblongs as well, only because the hits were really, really good
1: and whichever one you enjoyed watching most, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was like I said, I had to pause and laugh because it was, it was making me laugh so much. And while I thought this was, yeah, a, a, absolutely just weird show, and yeah, I can understand why it only lasted one season.
1: Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was proper weird, but it was, but it was good.
0: Too much to handle for people, and I I don't think network execs were gonna like take a chance on this show and like lose, even if it is an adult animated show.
1: But that's the thing, like you know, back in the day, it was like this show was taking up time on the air, right? Now you've got uh streaming services and stuff like that, you've got shows that um, like Rick and Morty and things like that, which I find much more difficult to watch in the oblongs. you know they're not taking up time in the air, on the air anymore, so it's just like I was in. Obviously, obviously it is I think it's on TV at some points, right? But what I mean is like there's always that space on the streaming services, which means it's not. You know, if anyone wants to watch it, you know, crack on.
0: I doubt this is going to make a streaming uh, platform anytime soon, though. I will say that about the oblongs because I, yeah, like I said it's very, very hit and miss, and it's just yeah, it was, it was really, really out there really really out there and it's probably the most out there show that we've done hands down right main event time now so we're talking about king of the hill and this show first came out in january 1997 and some of the things happening in the world the republic of zaire officially joins the world trade organization as zaire but I believe it is now called the Democratic Republic of Congo. Arnoldo Aleman was sworn in as president of Nicaragua. Diana, Princess of Wales calls for an international ban on landmines, angering ministers in the UK. The Relic was in the cinemas. And Beetlebum by Blur was number one in the charts. Not a Blur fan then, huh?
1: I'm sure there are some Blur songs that I do like, but um, I couldn't tell you that I'm offhand.
0: So you weren't a Blur fan then? Um, I'm guessing you may have been more Oasis in the whole Britpop
1: battle. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: I mean, if you were in the South, then you'd like Blur. And obviously, if you were up North, you would be a big fan of Oasis. So.
1: I mean, Oasis were a great band though, weren't they? Let's be honest.
0: They had a, they had, they had a few good songs, but as human beings, I don't really have time for Noel
1: and Liam. Oh no no! For, for, I just yeah, I'm just talk, literally just talking about music. I mean, even I...
0: yeah, even even then, I I still prefer other groups to Oasis. Like okay, I mean for me they're 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 a good band, whatever, good songs. But there's just other groups that I think are better than Oasis and are better actually not even better people anyway. <laughs> I was about to say Stone Roses, but then Ian Brown is a uh, that was a that was a good uh, Britpop conversation there. And it would probably be not be the last time we have the conversation. So King of the Hill now. So this was a American animated sitcom created by Mike Judge and Greg Daniels for Fox. And Judge began creating King of the Hill during his time making the MTV series Beavis and Butthead, which he also created and voiced. And after pitching the pilot to Fox, Judge was paired with Greg Daniels, who is an experienced writer who previously worked on The Simpsons. It's set in the fictional small town of Ireland, Texas. The show centers around the Hill family, headed by the ever-responsible, hardworking, loyal, disciplined and honest propane salesman Hank Hill. After its debut, the series became a large success for Fox and was named one of the best television series of the year by various publications, including Entertainment Weekly, Time and TV Guide. For the 97-98 season, the series became one of Fox's highest rated programs and even briefly outperformed The Simpsons in ratings. During the 5th and 6th seasons, Mike Judge and Greg Daniels became less involved with the show. They eventually refocused on it, even while Daniels became more involved with other projects. King of the Hill received critical acclaim over its 13-year run. Early reviews of the show were positive. Diane Holloway at the Chicago Tribune considered it the most Texan television series since Dallas and praised the show's sly sense of humour and subversive sensibility. At the Los Angeles Times, writer Howard Rosenberg suggested that the show totes a few smiles, but there's little to bowl you over, and it takes a spell getting used to. The show's first season received an approval rating of 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 16 reviews, and the consensus reads, and I quote, King of the Hills, mild yet extremely funny depiction of small-town Texas life, is refreshingly worlds away from conventional primetime animation while the 5th and 13th season received more critical praise with 100% approval rating. At the show's conclusion, James Ponywazik, if I said your name wrong, I apologise, opined that it had quietly been the best family comedy on TV, calling the show's ending one of the most moving things I've ever seen on TV this year. Alan Sepinwall of The Star Ledger described it as sweeter, uh, more human than the great majority of live action sitcom that overlapped its run. Genevieve Kosky of The A.V. Club described the program as steadfast down to earth series while noting the show saw its fair share of silly conceits and contrived setups and got fairly repetitive in the final seasons. Writers have examined the show through a political lens. It's not a political show insisted, Mike Judge. And he said that it's a more populist, common sense point of view. And Matt Bai of the New York Times Magazine called it the most subtle and complex portrayal of small town voters on television. In 2016, reappraisal from The Atlantic dubbed it the last bipartisan TV comedy with writer Burt Clare noting the programme imbued all of its characters with a rich humanity that made their foibles Deeply sympathetic. In this, King of the Hill was far ahead of its time, and the broader TV landscape has yet to catch up. In 2007, it was named by Time magazine as one of the top 100 greatest television shows of all time. King of the Hill won two Emmy Awards and was nominated for seven. The series' celebrity guest stars include Chuck Mangione, playing a fictionalized version of himself, Tom Petty, playing the recurring character Lucky. Alan Rickman, playing the king at a renaissance fair and numerous country music artists. King of the Hill is currently ranked number 27 on IGN's top 100 animated TV series. In 2013, TV Guide ranked King of the Hill as one of the top 60 greatest TV cartoons of all time. And an article on Vulture by Daniel Carland called, and the title was, None of the best comedies on TV would exist without King of the Hill. And what he said was, and I quote, there's a growing trend in the comedies on television where a careful, respectful approach that caters towards character driven comedy is exactly what people want. Series like The Good Place, Silicon Valley or Brooklyn Nine-Nine may go to extremely crazy places, but they ultimately all come down to their characters and creating a real feeling of community with their comedy. These aren't the early programs that take this approach. And it's worth examining why this style of comedy is currently in control. It might surprise you that the answer goes all the way back to January of 1997 in a fictional animated suburb in Texas. And it might seem like a given for now for comedies to have such continuity, character-driven mindset. But a lot of these instincts started on King of the Hill before being seen in your current favourite comedies. The characters. So there's Hank Rutherford Hill who is the main protagonist who proudly sells propane and propane accessories as the assistant manager at Strickland Propane and throughout the entire series always makes a big deal about the job when everybody around Hank finds his occupation boring. Margaret Platter Hill, or Peggy, who was born in Montana and raised on her family's cattle ranch. Her strained relationship with her mother is a source of drama for her. Peggy is a substitute teacher in Arlen, Texas, specialising in teaching Spanish despite having a terrible grasp of the language. Robert Jeffrey Hill, or Bobby, is Hank and Peggy's 12 and later 13-year-old son, and best friend to Joseph and Connie. Although friendly, gentle, lovable, and generally well-liked, he's not very bright and often prone to making bad decisions. David Alvin Gribble, a.k.a. Rusty Shackelford, is the chain-smoking neighbour who is an insect exterminator among various self-appointed occupations. His physical appearance was moulded after Hunter S. Thompson. Hank considers Dale a close friend, but often gets annoyed with his schemes and conspiracy theories. Sergeant William Fontaine de la Tour du Terrive, or Bill. He grew up in Louisiana with his cousin Gilbert and speaks Creole and English. He was formerly a rugged and attractive star fullback on Arlen High's football team where he set the school record for touchdown and was nicknamed the Bulldozer. now a Sergeant Barber in the United States Army. Jeff, who is often referred to his surname, Boomhauer, and he's a slim, blonde ladies' man whose mutterings are hard to understand to the audience but easily understood by his friends. Luann, who is the Hills' college-age niece, and daughter of Peggy's scheming fraternal twin brother Hoyt and his former alcoholic wife Leanne. And Luanne moves in with the Hills after her mother Leanne stabs Hoyt with a fork during a drunken fight which tips over the trailer. Hank initially makes frequent attempts to encourage Luan to move out on her own, but later more or less accepts her as a member of the family. So, King of the Hill.
1: I never watched this. I thought it was a um, really slow and probably came out when I was a bit young, maybe for this sort of show. So I was definitely aware of its existence, and I'm and I'm and I'm almost certain that this was the kind of the show that paved the way for the Family Guys, the American Dads, and all that sort of stuff. So I um, have to kind of like respect it straight away. I was glad that I got to watch it for this um, podcast, though. I thought it was actually really funny, even like if it's just absolutely nailing thing, you know, like kind of observational humor stuff you know just for example the first thing when like loads of blokes standing around look at an engine pretending they know about it and stuff you know um yep yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like it's that sort of thing that you know it's, it's really good and obviously like political show like well political kind of framework i guess but yeah i you know like again just getting to know the the, the the characters and you know it being character driven and stuff like that. And I thought that was quite good and it really showed that the writing was kind of like was was really good. Uh it was it is a very slow burner. It's not not wacky really or anything like that. It's just kind of sit down, listen to it and enjoy it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean we actually did watch this. This used to come on like really late on channel four, so like at ten o'clock or something. And yeah i liked it back then when i was a kid i liked it watching it now i thought yeah it was really really good it's really underrated Mm. for the longest time it was really underrated but i think the once you start watching it and once you start hearing about it you'll see just how how really well done this 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 was and yeah the characters were spot on Everything about the show, you, you and and I did like how they said it was bipartisan, so it didn't really matter where you kind of fit on the political scale. I think yeah, you can sit back and 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 enjoy this enjoy this show, and I think they did that really really well. I mean, the characters were very likable, very relatable. Yeah, I think they portrayed that life really really well, and they expressed it and they showed it onto the show, and they. They did all that, I thought, really, really well.
1: Yeah, agreed. I mean, this was a show that I probably would have avoided on the EPG. Um, now, I'll quite happily sit down and watch an episode. So, yeah, I'm glad that we managed to get to the show.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right. Shall we talk about episodes?
1: Yeah, so I watched two episodes again. I watched the first episode find out what's going on and then i skipped all the way to like season five because i thought by season five you should have this nailed down so hank and the guys are standing around pretending to know about engines and again this is one of the things that i really like because you know they're all saying oh it's your you know it's your fuel injector or it's your spark plugs or you know all of them saying the one thing that they probably know about engines, which I found quite funny. So then Hank goes and sees Bobby and he says, what are you listening to? And he's like, oh, dad, you probably won't like it. And he's like, oh, no, I like some of this modern music. And he listens to it and it's basically just some toilet sounds. And then he, he kind of goes mad at Bobby and he says, you shouldn't be listening to that. He goes, what are you are listening to there? That man has a medical disorder, <laughs> which I thought was, was really funny. So Loanne is home uh, and he goes into the bathroom. And she doesn't knock the door and he's like, oh, you should knock the door. We've got a minor in the house. Uh, so Bobby's going to a, a baseball game and Hank says, like, if you want to win, you have to do better than your best. And it's like this kind of whole thing about, you know, give 110%. Be, and then Bobby's like, well, what if they give 110%? He's like, okay, we'll give 112% then. So uh, Bobby's playing baseball and, and uh, dad's coaching him from the sidelines, giving him tips. And then he takes a ball to the eye Uh, because he's not looking what he's doing on the way home dad goes to a hardware store to get or a store to get the uh to get some wd-40 and something else i can't remember what it was and he asks a guy and he says like you know he gets annoyed because the guy doesn't know where to find these uh items and then he's kind of shouting at this this guy and then kind of like the, the uh people are kind of looking around at him and said oh you know that's hank he's it, see what he did to his son's eye and basically the whole before you know it the rumors have gone around that he's been beating his son up and it is uh and the child services are, are involved so dale's talking about global warming and how it's the government plot and this and that and the other and then hank says something like which made me laugh he says something like hank he says uh dale it's 170 degrees if it gets one degree hot, uh, hot uh, one degree warmer i'm going to kick your ass <laughs> Um, which is really really funny Bobby accidentally hits his mum with a baseball and she gets a mark on her cheek and then the, the child prote- protective services come around um, they have an interview but it's not going well and basically uh, Hank ends up kicking this guy out of his house, meanwhile whilst the interview's her, <laughs> Dale tries to fix his truck and then accidentally breaks it and then just runs off, uh, the CPS guy comes around and, uh, to see Dale and he says no he's not hitting Bobby and he, and he says um, and, he, and his wife is saying like I've got these headache classes or something like that. And, he's, and he says, I've been paying for these for 10 years. It takes time for healing or something like that. And then he goes, like, oh, uh, Hank doesn't hit his boiler. You can ask my son. And he brings his son in. My wife goes off with this like, kind of Native American or Mexican guy. And then when his son came in, he's the same color skin color as the, 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 the guy that his wife's gone out and seen. So funny, but he's not notice or whatever so basically the cps guy that's investigating goes back to his headquarters and is in this guy and his boss says you did go speak to the baseball coach right he says no and anyway the cps calls off the investigation uh, they call bobby they call the house to say but bobby answers the phone and he ends up not telling the parents um and this is where it gets really kind of like touching is when his my his mum comes in and asks him why he did that and he says oh because if i do that then dad will love me all the time and he thinks that hank doesn't love him all the time and then uh he, he he tell he has to go and tell bobby that and he tells him no he, he struggles to like talk to him about it because he's one of those guys that you know he was raised harsh by his dad and that's why he's kind of like can't show his feelings but anyway he tells bobby and they have a really nice heart-to-heart really really sweet end to the episode um on to series five episode one which i thought you know they should be getting you know getting into the swing of it by now Luanne and Bobby wants to go to a fair uh, Peggy's made a booth for uh, people going to vote in their house or their garage. They all go to the fair and Hank wants Luann to vote, but she's not interested. Uh, there's a fringe candidate at the fair called Ted T. Ganaway. Um, there's also some pig diving at the fair. And they're watching this pig basically climb up these steps and then just fall into the water. And the pig gets caught in the water and then Bobby, you know, he gets distressed and he kind of saves it. And because of that, one of the um, Republican Party um photographers is there and they invite them to the Bush Cheney rally. Luann has been um was talking to these people at the fair and now she's gonna be a communist. Uh, and then Hank was like, Oh I don't need to vote now if you're just gonna waste it. And he basically makes her cry, he calls her an idiot and he sends her home. And then he takes her to the Bush Cheney rally. Um, and she's like she loves it. She loves everything about it. So she's gonna like kind of vote Republican now. Then Bush comes around and he shakes his hand but he's got a really weak handshake and he's not impressed by it and he kind of shakes his vote. Uh, then Dale tries to make him not vote, and then during vote day, uh Hank goes with Dale shopping, and they and 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 Dale takes him to Mexico, and he says like, look, "Look, we're going to hide here until the vote is finished. If it all goes wrong, we'll be kind of sweet down here." Then Hank goes back. uh He tricks Dale into giving him his keys, and he goes back to the USA. He gets pulled over by the policeman. He says, "Like, I'm trying to get home to vote." And he goes, "Oh, you haven't voted," and he gets a police escort all the way home. And then Luan and Hank vote at the same time, and that's the end of the episode. So, yeah. I thought you know what? Two really, really, really good episodes. I, lo- I really like them both.
0: I just love how Hank was, like, in the first episode, how he was with the uh, with the guy from... Uh, I think Anthony, the guy from the child service, he's just like,
1: get off my property! Get! 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 <laughs> yeah. He's literally saying, like, if you think I'm going to harm my boy... I mean, the thing is, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because, obviously, this is in a sitcom, but imagine if someone, like, tells you that you're beating your son and they're going to take him away and and they expect you not to be the angriest person in the whole world at that point it's perfectly rational rational in my eyes if someone tries to take your child away to beat them to a pulp you know like yeah get off my property do do you know what i mean like and you know and then they'll be like oh but he's getting angry look at this of course he's getting angry you're lucky you're not dead
0: yeah like Get, get, like, get out of here man what the hell is wrong with you and yeah the, the, the Karen who's like calling the child protection services as well and...
1: <laughs> yeah. brilliant
0: oh, right okay so I went all the way to um, season 7 and the episode I watched was Racist Dog it starts off with um, Bill who's pulling Peggy and Hank out of the house because there was gas and their water heater was uh, playing up again and so Hank wants to fix the water heater, but she's like, Peggy's like, yeah, I don't want you touching it. I'm just going to, because obviously the man thinks, oh, I can fix it. No problem. But She's like, uh, actually, no, I'm going to call a professional. So they get a man from the church called Mac, and it was voiced by Bernie Mac, the late Bernie Mac. And so Hank and Mac are bonding, but then Mac starts to tell a story about a propane seller. And obviously he's saying how the propane seller was really, really bad, and then obviously Hank is thinking, "Are you talking about me?" And then basically Ladybird, the dog, is like really hostile towards Mac, like showing showing her teeth. And obviously Mac's like, "What the hell's wrong with your dog?" And then Mac basically locks the door so that the lady so that Ladybird can't bite him. And obviously Hank's trying to reassure Mac, but still doesn't feel convinced. And so Peggy's is basically like to Hank, you need to get this dog out of here and let Mac do the work. And Hank is basically talking to his mates about Mac and the dog. And Mac is having lunch with the Hills. He's enjoying the burgers. And obviously they're talking about, you know, if the dog might be racist towards black people. Obviously, Hank is like, oh no, 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 of course it's not. I, I fully believe in equality, I believe in in all of that. And then Ladybird comes out of nowhere, bites Mac in the leg, and Mac is like, yeah, your dog is not prejudiced, your dog is racist, it hates black people. And they see that the mailman comes along and he's just basically playing with the dog. And so Mac is like, look how he's with, with, with the mailman and look how he's with me. Like, I quit. And Peggy's like, I don't want Ladybird biting any black person that they meet. And so Hank is going to Bobby because Bobby likes hip hop. And obviously he's like, what can you, uh, your hip hop tell me to do about learning more about black people and black culture? And then Hank is basically taking the dog to a dog training center. And so the dog training center are like, oh, this is not a racist dog. It's a racist owner. So everyone's looking at Hank, and Hank is like, "What? I'm not racist. Like, what the hell? Like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not racist at all." Hank is basically talking to someone at work called Roger, who's black, and Hank is like trying to do all this stuff, going, "Oh, do you want coffee? Do you want some cream with that?" And obviously Roger's like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" And then obviously Hank is like, "Oh, I was told that I might be a racist." And then Roger's like, "You're not racist. You're the one who got me this job." And he goes, okay, I've got this thing. So you do this racist test on the internet and then it will determine if you're racist or not. And obviously Hank is like, okay, I'll do the test. And obviously Hank is struggling because obviously he's like the computers, you have to like move really quickly. You have to press all the buttons, you've got to move really quickly. And then obviously he's like, I don't really know what's happening, what's happening. And then the results come up and it says that Hank strongly prefers the company of white people. And I like how strongly he was like in caps and like flashing strongly and obviously everyone's like oh wow and then there's they go to church on sunday and the sermon is about race and everyone's basically looking at hank and i like how the the uh, the the female reverend is basically teaching the kids going what color crayon is this white and what color crayon is this
1: black
0: and they all come from the same tray And that means everybody is equal and obviously kids are going yay everyone's equal (laughs) just basically showing hank up peggy's trying to help hank by playing with these like black and white dolls that they have and ladybird takes the black doll and rips it up and leaves it outside peggy does the test and obviously peggy's like okay fine let me do the test let me see what it says And so when peggy does the test it says that she strongly prefers the company of black people. And obviously, Peggy's like, Yes, yes, I'm gonna print this out. I'm gonna show this to everybody. So, and so people from the church are outside Hank's house and they're singing. And basically, the new repairman comes along and Ladybird attacks him. And Hank is like, Oh, look, this, this repairman is white, and and Lady Bird is attacking him. And it turns out that Ladybird is hostile towards repairmen because Hank was obviously not happy about someone touching his water heater. And then so Hank goes to see Mac and he explains about Ladybird. And obviously he is, he says, look, I'm not racist. Obviously this is it's against all repairmen and then obviously Mac and the dog get along. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty nice episode. And then the finale was to Sirloin with love. And so Peggy has to go out and leave Hank with Bobby. And obviously Hank is like, I don't really know what to say to him. I don't really know what to do. And obviously the famous expression of that boy ain't right. And so he says, okay, fine. And obviously Hank is going to his friends asking what he should do about Bobby. And so his friends suggest that maybe they should go out to dinner so then you can talk to other people other than Bobby. And so they're going to chops a steakhouse and there's quite an awkward silence with bobby and bobby's complaining about the steak saying that it's basically a lot of fat and not a lot of meat and he catches the attention of a meat expert and obviously he's like oh you've got a point here about the the steak and bobby is looking at all the steaks and he knows each one and he knows their cuts and they know where the bone fits in and and all of those things and so there's like a, a meat sort of team like they have to like guess the type of meat and they have to guess the the levels so bobby is offered a, a place on the, the on the team and coach is giving bobby a dvd of of a, of a slaughterhouse and he's using that to bond with hank and so there's like the first meat evaluation contest and it comes down to muscling so they tell bob to see which one has the most muscle bobby gets the question wrong But they still go to the next round. Hank is trying to reassure Bobby, who feels that he let the team down. And the team aren't happy with Bobby, and he's promising that he won't mess up again. And Hank is really happy that he could bond with his son. And so Bobby's team, they're trying to sabotage the rivals Texas A&F by spraying chili in their eyes. And Bobby thinks that his meat team is weird and he wants to quit. And Hank is like, you know what, you can quit if you want, but I'm going to support the team anyway. And so they're on their way to the state championship and Texas A&F hijack the bus. And Hank is on there, but obviously not with, the, um, with Bobby. And they hijack all the phones so that they can win the competition. Peggy tells Bobby about Hank being happy and proud that he could bond with his son. And Bobby wants to go to the competition. Bobby has to compete on his own because the team aren't there. Hank's friends help him out, and they manage to save Hank and the team. Now Hank can see what the team is like, and the team are there, and they want to take over, but Bobby takes over and gets it right, and they win, and Hank and Bobby are having a barbecue together. All the neighbours are smelling the beef, and they want to try some of it, and I like how there's like a, a family going, do you want to try some redneck barbecue? And they're like, yeah, sure, let's go have some redneck barbecue. And, yeah, that's how that ended. I did like how diverse this show was as well. Yeah. Very, very diverse.
1: I mean, Bernie Mac in an episode as well, that's pretty. That's a pretty cool accolade.
0: It is a pretty cool accolade. I think he wasn't the only one either. So uh, this was a very, very popular show. Very, yeah, di- very diverse cast as well. You're thinking, oh, my God, if it's Texas, it's going to be whatever. But it wasn't. It was very diverse. It was very, very cool. I, I, I did. I did. I did like that about the show, and yeah, I thought this was really, really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by it. And like I said, you know, it's one of those shows that would be like, oh, you know, you're just surfing through the EPG, and you think, oh, that's one, Okay, and before I would have it, but now I definitely won't.
0: No, no, definitely not. And yeah, this was, this was very good, and I'm glad that we finally got around to doing this show. So uh, there you go. And on that bombshell, we'll bring this episode to an end warm welcome to uh, listeners from the Philippines and Indonesia. We uh, thoroughly appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. And yes, we'd just like to give you a a warm welcome. And uh, please stay along with the uh, the journey. And obviously, there's plenty more episodes for you guys to enjoy as well. So uh, do enjoy that because, uh, yeah, they're available wherever you get your podcast from. If you turn on your notifications, you should be able to get new episodes all the time. And um yeah, you could find us on all the podcast platforms, whichever one you can think of, I'm sure we're on there. You can find us on the socials. On Instagram is yesterday's capers one. Twitter is yesterday capers, youtube.com for slash yesterday's capers, Facebook.com for slash yesterday's capers. And you can find me on the socials on Instagram, it's Abdullah underscore Merlin. And on Twitter, it's Abdullah Merlim, all one word. Give us a holler, give us a shout, and join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers.